This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It is a great day in America. It really is. Hey, Twitter being owned by Elon Musk, you may think it has nothing to do with you. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't care. It matters. It matters. It affects all of society in so many ways. You know, we were getting very close to a police state where they were banning certain thoughts, certain opinions. How un-American is that? Yes, shadow banning. They were shadow banning Trump conservatives. They were shadow banning. They outright banned Donald Trump. By the way, what is shadow banning? Let's take a look. It is the practice of preventing a user's content from being seen by others without the user being not notified or aware of it. All right. Now, why did this happen? Why did they why did they turn on conservatives? Why did they ban Donald Trump? Because he was so damn good at social media. That's how he won in 2016. Remember, he was up against, what, 15 professional career politicians, and none of them had a clue about how to use social media. He brought it to a whole new level and ran circles around those guys. Hillary Clinton, another career politician, a United States senator, former secretary of state, I mean, and the first lady, all those things, practicing her entire life to be president, and he wins. What made them so mad? He was so good at Twitter. Trump tweets making news tonight. Amid Donald Trump's tweet storm last night, responding to the president's Oval Office address. Hey, we we're following breaking news on a major political story. Donald Trump breaking his silence with a series of tweets. Donald Trump just tweeted. Donald Trump just tweeting this morning. Trump today tweeted this link. Donald Trump tweeted this yesterday. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump tweeted, good luck to law enforcement. Here's a Trump tweet from earlier this month. And immediately after the speech, Donald Trump tweeted, is that all there is? All right. So everybody was reacting to him. Everybody was fascinated and it was driving the career politicians crazy. It was driving the media crazy. Hey, wait a second. We control the agenda. Now he is with his little Twitter account. Even Trump was fascinated by it all. And then I like it's like I own the New York Times. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's called the new age. You know, I always want to own a newspaper. Now I own a newspaper and it didn't cost me anything. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and how do you feel if you own a newspaper and you got this guy driving the agenda? They hate it. And when he won, my goodness gracious, everything changed. They threw out all the rules and just decided to go after him and those who support him. I'm surprised, actually, it took them as long as it did to throw him off Twitter. Unfairly, of course, and he could be back. But... The problems were happening long before this day, January 6th, when he was thrown off. Um, all the stories that they stifled, that they suppressed, if they harmed the Democrats. Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden and his laptop. Hunter Biden and Burisma. Hunter Biden and the money and the prostitutes and China and Ukraine and all the sordid stuff. 10% to the big guy. All of it captured by the New York Post. 
And what did they do? They kicked the New York Post off of Twitter. It's unbelievable. That is the stuff of a police state. Joe Biden's running for president in 2020. How the hell did he do it from the basement? I mean, seriously, how can you run for president from the basement? You can if big tech is on your side. And they were, and we needed the correction, and we finally got it. How can you successfully run for president if you can't draw a crowd? Remember those circles in the ground? This is a presidential campaign. Well, according to Twitter and social media, everything was just fine, just fine. See, the media, they knew then what we all know now, that Joe Biden is, well, this weak shell of a man walking around. They concealed all of this during the campaign. Big tech helped. And what else did they do? This is where you're supposed to go to a physician for a second opinion, right? Suddenly, no, that was illegal. Dr. Fauci was going to determine everything. Everything medical was up to Dr. Fauci. Are you kidding me? They tried to redesign our way of life, and that's just totally wrong. How about transgenderism? Look, you can be for transgender. Uh, you can even say children should uh, be exposed to those ideas. I will disagree with you vehemently. But if you want to say that on Twitter, I guess you can. And we should be able to oppose you. And we're going to oppose you with a ballot box as well, because that's quite frankly dangerous. But you can say these things out loud. You can. And we can, too, that we don't like this stuff. That's okay. That's American. Okay? Now, I know a lot of people out there was like, well, it's good that Donald Trump's off Twitter because uh, it was so unpresidential. Really, was it unpresidential? I mean, how many presidents, how many politicians have told me, have sworn to all of us how they just slug it out for us, right? Fight for us, fight for us like hell, fight like hell. What I'll do as president what Donald Trump hasn't. I'll fight for you. I will fight for you. I want to fight for you. I know you and I will fight for you. I will fight for you. I will be a senator who will fight for you. Uh, they don't mean it. They don't mean it. When they get there, when they win, oh, they have to be senatorial. They have to be presidential. They have to. They can't. No, they can't. No, no. Trump actually meant it. All right. We all saw it. He promised it and he followed through. That also messed them up. No, no, no. It's not supposed to work that way. You're not supposed to follow up on any of this stuff. It's just a bunch of garbage you say to get elected. He broke the system and the system was corrupt. So, we're only halfway there, though, maybe not even halfway, because Facebook is still, well, in the hands of Mark Zuckerberg, um, and Donald Trump is still banned from that platform. So um, I had a feeling that Mark Zuckerberg personally had it out for Donald Trump. You could tell the body language between these two guys, particularly Zuckerberg. He just seemed very skeptical. And now maybe I'm being, uh, I don't know, nitpicky here, but Take a look at the body language between Mark and Obama, huh? Are these guys going off for a boys weekend, a bachelor party or something like that? Looks like they're having a lot of fun. So look, this Facebook, this Twitter stuff, it's important. It does shape the narrative. Reporters love to talk about the narrative and they are addicted to social media and they don't want to talk about what they're not supposed to be talking about. Okay? They're thinks of them. They're writing and reporting for their peers more than they are for us. And they don't. That's a big lost opportunity, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, here's a fake news guy explaining the situation now, but actually he's explaining the situation 
for the past, what, three years. The censorship online. He's complaining that it's going to happen to Democrats. This, though, is what happened to conservatives and people who support Trump. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Uh, you think that's what they did to our side. Now, he's worried that they're going to do it to the left. I actually don't think he has to worry about it because Elon Musk is a, a good guy and he wants a fair fight. He doesn't like censorship and nobody should be censored. I want people who disagree with me, who disagree with us to pipe off and say what they want to say. That's America, right? By the way, again, we're only halfway there. This uh, Facebook thing. Did you see Mark Zuckerberg last summer when he went across that lake like he was George Washington with a flag? I think it had, what was the music up? I really couldn't figure this out when he did it. Now I understand. He's celebrating because he thinks that he's responsible for Joe Biden getting into the office of the president. And in some ways, he just might be because of all that money he spent, almost a half billion dollars from Mark Zuckerberg into far left wing groups and who knows what they did with this money. It's incredible. One guy, $420 million dollars why does he get to do that, huh? Huh? And ordinary politicians, people, if you give up $2 more than you're supposed to, you can be in real trouble. How about this guy, Brian Benjamin, the former uh, lieutenant governor? He's in trouble for a $50,000 grant, all right? A questionable $50,000 grant. He had to resign. He's, uh, uh, they hold him into federal court, handcuffs the works, $50,000, $400 million. That's a little bit crazy. Anyway, I'm hopeful. I hope you are. When we come back, take a look at this. All the folks coming into America, don't they know, haven't they heard that this is a systemically racist country? I notice these happen to be all people of color. Well, they love America because they know it's a land of opportunity. Uh, and those lies about America are not dissuading them. I don't like this happening, but they know, they know that this is not a systemically racist country. We'll be right back. Hi, Rob Carson here. If you love watching Newsmax, you're really going to love listening to our new podcast. It's called the Newsmax Daily. I host it, and I give you the best briefing of the big news of the day, top newsmaker interviews, and even, yes, a few laughs. I know it's hard to believe. So if you're uh, driving, walking, exercising, just about anywhere, you can connect with the Newsmax Daily with me, Rob Carson. Find our podcast online or go to iPhone, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, and more, and start listening today. All, All I, I can, can say is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't, doesn't get it, do they? They don't, they don't get it, and they are convinced, they are committed to lying about this country to enhance their own power. How many times have you heard Democrats and various media people talk about what a racist country we have, right? It's like the soundtrack of our lives. I can play this for hours. I'm only going to play it for a little bit. We've shown you before, but here's a taste. We've seen with horrifying clarity 
the cost of systemic racism. We have a system that is built on systemic racism, and we have to dismantle that system piece by piece. It is time we face up to the reality of systemic racism in all of its forms. Racism is all right. systemic. And it goes on and on and on like this. You say it long enough, people will start believing it. They have corrupted this country. It's really, really unfortunate because we are not that. We aren't. We are good people. We've got a great system. And uh, yeah, here's proof, actually. We want to do good things, right? We want to be virtuous. We'll even vote for a guy who's not qualified for a job because he looks a certain way. I'm talking about Barack Obama, of course. So here he is. This is the day he becomes a United States senator, January 4th of 2005. Okay, good luck in the Senate. Maybe in 10, 15 years, you can run for the top job. No, no. Two years later, two years later, he decides he's running for president. I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Now, that's pretty audacious, right? Two years in the Senate and then he goes for the top job. Now, this is not going to work in a systemically racist country. The guy's black. That's why it worked. That's why it worked. People thought that he could bring about real change and help interracial relations. Instead, he exploited them for his own purposes. So he declares in 2007. He wins in 2008, of course. Remember that? Uh, Big night, beautiful night. Even I smiled. I thought it was a nice thing. And then, of course, he gets sworn in a couple of months. Can you believe this? A guy goes from getting sworn in in 2005 as a first-term senator to president of the United States four years later. And we're supposed to be a systemically racist country. You could say this is too simplistic. No, this is obvious. This is proof that we're not. This is proof. And he was unqualified, by the way. Look at all the things we threw out, the things we usually value, experience, judgment, familiarity, knowing somebody. No, we got rid of all of it because, well, because. So here's more proof that we're not a systemically racist country. What's going on at the border? Now, you can look at this footage, as we all have. All these folks are coming in, and I understand their wish to be in America. I wish they weren't coming here like this at great risk to themselves and, yes, to America in uh, certain respects. But you notice something. You can look at this footage for hours, and you won't see one white person. These are all people of color. Well, haven't they heard about the systemic racism here? They know better. They don't believe the fake news. They know that this is the land of opportunity. Hey, remember this with the uh, Border Patrol on the horses? They weren't trying to keep these people in. They were trying to keep them out. They were doing their job protecting the border. I noticed all of these people kept trying to dodge the horse and get into America. Again, the systemically racist country. It's all nonsense, and we know it. But... Why do they keep saying it? And kind of out of the blue when you think about it. Well, back in 2019, 2020, there were some pretty crummy Democrats running. I mean, everybody knew. None, none of these people really could do it. Bernie Sanders wasn't, was not going to win. Nobody could win. The only guy they could kind of conceive of possibly beating Donald Trump, or at least we could portray it as such, was Joe Biden. So how do you make a guy who's in his late 70s, who's no civil rights champion, who's never really talked about the issue? How do you 
How do you make this happen? How do you make him the culture of, uh, of woke? Well, I don't know. You've got to rearrange society and lie about a lot of things. And now that he's in power, uh, the lying continues. The media can't get enough of it. Certain people in the media, they're telling these lies to enhance their own power. Take a look. Schools are filled with more than just straight, white, cisgender folks who are being robbed of their education. Black Lady Courtroom, welcome back to the Sunday show. And what Tim Scott is participating in is a willful political strategy to engender fear in white people and to play on it. Sophia, as the former uh, Republican here on the panel, what's up with your boy Tim Scott? The treatment of American history really kind of glossed over, for the most part, and ignored some of the atrocities, including the enslavement of black people. We don't teach history accurately. We don't teach why critical race theory in its purest form, why it's a very important thing to teach about structures of racism that persist from the time this country was founded forward. As always, thank you for coming to the Sunday show. That is the Black Lady Courtroom, y'all. Talk about this panel in depth in a moment. But first, what they were reacting to in part was Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, who made this very reasonable statement. Parents have a right to know what their kids are being taught in the classroom. Teaching kids that some are oppressors is just as bad as teaching other kids that they're always going to be victims. Okay, I buy that. The panel, they were outraged by it. Uh, By the way, the panel, all very educated people, but I noticed sometimes they kind of change the way they talk, right? I mean, who's done that before? We ain't got time to be tired. We don't have time to be tired. We ain't got, we don't got. It's all so phony. And it's all designed to enhance his power, his power, his status, especially with white folk, by the way. And getting back to that panel, I don't think they represent anybody but themselves and their uh, racializing everything and the way they do it is to enhance their power. And oh, by the way, I think this is interesting. I also think it's great. They're all, uh, three of them are in great committed relationships and love is love and it's beautiful that they found partners. I don't care what race they are, but I am going to point out that Jonathan Capehart happens to be uh, with a white man and that's, uh, that's wonderful, but it does undermine the whole idea that this is a systemically racist country with white supremacists everywhere. Same goes for Maya Wiley. Her husband is uh, not black and Kimberly Atkins store. Same goes for her. And uh, oh, by the way, the two most prominent black women in the country are married to white men. Uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, didn't hear much about that, by the way. And uh, who's that? The second gentleman, Doug. Doug uh, Elliman, somebody like that. Emhoff is uh, Kamala's husband. That's great. Again, love is love. I don't, it, but it does undermine that whole notion. Now, Take a look at this. It's an article by a Stanford University professor. He's got his thoughts on this. His name is Ralph Richard Banks, and he says the following. Put it up on the screen, please. There has been little discussion in the media or culture about the white women, I'm sorry, the white partners of prominent black women like Harris or Brown Jackson. Goes on to say, I hope this reflects the increasing social acceptance of such unions. If so, then black women will be able to enjoy the relationship freedom they deserve. 
And I think that's, uh, that's great. He also points out, however, that, well, there aren't enough black men to marry for educated black women. It's a real thing. And we can just go around saying, well, uh, we're not going to talk about that. Or as he says, it's all because of racism that there aren't more black men to marry. But I have a feeling the problem is deeper and not being talked about. Not at all. Can't talk about it, right? Only certain groups can, and only certain people who look a certain way. The New York Times can write about this issue all day long, and they do. Oh, interracial dating. It's very, very, well, it's a very, very topical issue for the left. They can talk about it on their terms. Look, love is love. You marry whoever you want. That's great. But the disappearing black male is a thing. And going back to the New York Times, they've documented it before they went totally crazy woke. 1.5 million missing black men. Yes, prison. You can call it mass incarceration if you want. You can call diabetes. There are all kinds of things working against black men in this country. And they're not going to be fixed by talking about critical race theory. Okay? They are going to be fixed if more people would speak out like Barack Obama once did. And in the African-American community. That was something else. And if you don't have a father, well, the chances are that you might wind up in jail. They're at least greater illiteracy. Uh, all kinds of negative things happen uh, potentially without a father in the home. It's true. It's been documented, or at least a, a two-parent family. Barack Obama also pointed out at one point in his presidency that reading literacy in the black community is considered bad. It's considered not cool. He said it. African-Americans in communities where I've worked, there's been notion of acting white, which sometimes is overstated, but there's an element of truth to it where, okay, if, if boys are reading too much, then, well, why are you doing that? Or why, why are you, uh, why are you speaking so properly? And the notion that there's some authentic way of being black, that if you're, if you're going to be black, you have to act a certain way and wear a certain kind of clothes, that, you know, that has to go. That does have to go. But has anybody been talking about it? Has anyone been pushing back? No. So it hasn't gone away. That's still a thing. And talking about critical race theory, what they're, he's saying that in the black community, in certain parts of it, it's not considered cool or acceptable to read books. What difference does it make if critical race theory is in those books? We got far more basic problems. And now this. Black Lives Matter, of course, Black Lives Matter, but not the way the Black Lives Matter organization says. They only care about black lives if those lives have been taken by white cops. No, Black Lives Matter. And the life of three-year-old Yassim Jenkins certainly mattered. Look at this adorable kid. He died at three uh, this past Tuesday. Yassim was just 11 months old in October of 29 when his father, Nafes Monroe, took him along on a ride to buy drugs in North Philadelphia. Police say Monroe tried to use counterfeit money to buy the drugs 
and routinely brought his kids along in hopes of keeping the dealers calm. It did not work, and the dealer opened fire after the whole arrangement went south. Monroe was convicted of using Yassim as a human shield. The toddler was shot four times, including one bullet in the neck and another in the head. He initially survived and was thought to be recovering for the past two years, but there were complications and prosecutors believe his death last week was a result of his original injuries. If autopsy results confirm that, uh, his father and the convicted drug dealer, Francisco Ortiz, could both have their charges upgraded to murder. Yassim's family held a vigil for him last week. His endless fight. How many adults you know went through what he went through and survived? He was the most happiest baby you ever met in your life. Um, He was joy. And look at that picture. He was joy. I don't think I can ever forget this picture. Less than 24 hours after Yassim was shot back in 2019, the exact same 9mm handgun was used to shoot another baby. Two-year-old Nicolette Rivera died after being shot in the back of the head. She was just playing inside her North Philadelphia home when someone sprayed it with bullets. Cops say Rivera's killer got the gun from the dealer who shot Yassim Jenkins, that, that little kid, that little toddler, three years old now. So uh, I feel like these lives, these issues are far more important than what's in a textbook in Florida. Don't you? We'll be right back. Yassim Jenkins, three years old. A liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to The Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Hey, Dr. Oz is running for the United States Senate in uh, Pennsylvania. It looks to me like he's doing a great job. He has the endorsement of President Trump. And, well, we'll get to the debate they had last night. But first, and sometimes I meet MAGA people and they're like, wait a second, Dr. Roz, I mean, he's friends with Oprah. Yeah, friends with Oprah. Okay, for many years. Hey, do you know who else was friends with Oprah? Donald Trump. Okay, millions of times these guys have hung out, been on each other's shows, all that stuff. And also, Donald Trump did not say no when, after he declared for president, oh, yeah, back in 2015, would you like Oprah as your running mate? Listen to this. Back in 1999, when you were thinking of running as the Reform Party candidate, you told Larry King that you'd consider Oprah for vice president. I like Oprah. What can I tell you? She's still on your short list? Oh, she's great. She's talented. She's a friend of mine. She's a good person. I've been on her show. In fact, I was on her show her last week. She said, could I be on her show with the whole family? I like Oprah. I mean... Is that supposed to be a bad thing? I don't no, think but so. Is, who, so when no, you think like about Oprah. who the kind of people you're going to run I think with. Oprah would be great. I'd love to have Oprah. I think would win easily, actually. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, that's interesting. Look, um, I believe that Dr. Raz is MAGA. I believe that Dr. Raz is committed to President Trump. And um, he also has the contempt, the hatred, actually, of the media. They can't stand him because he's with Trump. Because he's MAGA and because Trump endorsed Dr. Oz. By the way, I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. Great guy, a good man, he's a good man, Harvard educated, tremendous, tremendous career. And they liked him for a long time. That's like a poll. You know, when you're in television for 18 years, that's like a poll. That means people like you, but he's a he's a great guy. May. And how about this? This is 
one of the most critical primary elections in the country this year. And one of the reasons I'm doing it is that I know Oz so well, and I know how great he's going to be. And I also know he's going to do much better in the general election than just about anybody that you can even think of. The general election is going to be ultimately the key. You get the nomination, but then you have to win, and he'll, he'll do very, very well. So here's what I think also is a badge of honor for Dr. Raz. The, as I mentioned, the, the media, they don't like him. Now, there was a big debate last night in Pennsylvania with his opponents. And guess what happened? Uh, the moderators and a lot of other journalists have been doing this. They refused to call him doctor. They refused to refer to him as Dr. Oz. Huh? It was always Mr. I couldn't believe it. Listen. Uh, turning to you, Mr. Oz. We directed at Mr. McCormick and Mr. Oz. Mr. Oz, we're going to start this question with you. Okay, Mr. Oz, I want to flip back to you really quickly. I do want to give uh, Mr. Oz a moment, uh, 15 seconds to respond. All right, turning to you, Mr. Oz now. All right, thank you, right. Uh, Mr. Right. Oz. It, it goes you, on uh, like Mr. this. It goes on and on and on like this. What is their point? They just can't stand him. He is a doctor. He's not a fun. He's a doctor. Let's go through it. His resume, all right? Yes, a biology degree from Harvard, a medical degree from Penn. An MBA, by the way, from Penn. What next, please? Residency in general surgery at Columbia University. Residency in cardiothoracic surgery with Columbia. Four research awards. This guy is the real, oh, here more, professor of surgery. Attending physician at New York Presbyterian Columbia Medical Center. He's developed numerous devices related to heart surgery. How about that? But he runs as a Republican with Donald Trump's endorsement, and they try to take all this away from him. Now, they can't but they try to fool you. It's interesting. There's another person who actually is a phony doctor. Know who I'm talking about? I have always loved the sounds of a together. Ah. Uh. Give me a break. We've all been to school. It's not like what you're talking about, Dr. Jill. She's not a doctor, but the media, oh my goodness, they fall all over themselves. She's a kindergarten teacher, not a doctor. And listen to the reverence. She insists on being called a doctor. How, yes, ma'am. And now it is time for Dr. Jill Biden. Tonight's headliner, Joe Biden's wife, Dr. Jill Biden. First lady, Dr. Jill Biden, who is in California today. First lady, uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden making the case for her husband as commander in chief. Dr. Jill Biden has said that she's really looking forward to this. Tonight, Dr. Jill Biden's going to do something that really the American public have not seen. <laughs> Stop saying that. It's just a, a phony doctor. They call a doctor a real doctor. They refuse to call a doctor. They call him Mr. Talk about fake news. Never ever trust them. Finally, one other thing at the debate last night. It, interesting, in, in Pennsylvania, all the candidates agreed that something was seriously wrong with the 2020 election, definitely in Pennsylvania. Uh, they all agreed. Here's Dr. Raz's point of view, though. Former President Donald Trump continues to talk about the 2020 election. Is it time for the Republican Party to move forward? We cannot move on. As all the other candidates up here have outlined, under the cover of COVID, there were draconian changes made to our voting laws by Democratic leadership, and they have blocked appropriate re reviews of some of those decisions. We have to be serious about what happened in 2020, and we won't be able to address that until we can really look under the hood. Damn straight. 
damn straight. And all those folks who say, uh, you know, they're talking to voters every single day. Voters have concerns about this. The elites, the talking heads, oh, we got to move on. We can't talk about the past. No, they'll do it again if we're not careful. All right, coming up, we'll meet the CEO, former CEO of a company who saw a spectacle in his community and called it out. A bunch of kids dressed in dresses. He thought they looked ridiculous. He said so, and he got fired. But he's fighting back. We'll be right back. They really have kind of thrown out all the rules in America, and they did it overnight. I want to show you a picture. What do you see here? Uh, What do you see? Now, let me tell you what it is. This is two guys, high school students, uh, obviously two guys, taking a picture on prom night. And they did it at a hotel in a public place. And uh, perhaps not everybody was used to seeing two guys, one of them in a dress, Um, one with the arm around each other. This is in Franklin, Tennessee. It caused a bit of a disturbance. And, uh, well, I want to bring in my next guest because he didn't like what he saw. He kind of called it out. I thought he was reasonable about it. His name is Sam Johnson. He's the former CEO of Visual. And he lost his job after what happened next, which we'll show you. Right now he's suing, of all people, Kathy Griffin, the comedian. Mr. Johnson, welcome back to Newsmax. We talked to you a year ago when this happened. You were treated unfairly, in my opinion. But first of all, how are you? We are uh, as good as we can be, Greg. And uh, it has been a year already. I can't believe it. But as you said, and I quote a year ago, I don't think we've heard uh, the last of this. And um, we have been uh, busy uh, figuring out a plan and a strategy. And I think we can make a difference here. All right. So you're these two kids um, prom night. You're there as well. And we're going to show the video in a moment. Do me a favor. What were you doing at the hotel and who were you with? I was having dinner with uh, my family members and uh, it was a very regular uh, place for us to uh, patronize. And uh, uh, we had been there hundreds of times before this event and uh, never had a problem. Well, uh, you said something to the kid. I quite frankly agree with you, and I thought you did nothing wrong. He looks ridiculous. It's, an, it's America. You're allowed to say these things, and you did. Let's show what happened. And keep in mind, everybody, the reaction on the other side, the person who's rolling the camera and everything. Go ahead. I chose what I want to wear, so you can f*** off. Okay? Right? Okay. Is that right? Think he looks gross? That's my boy. Looks disgusting? Yeah? Yeah. You look like... I look like what? What is f***? What is you look like an idiot. Get the away from me. What does he look like? Please stop. Oh, do not like No, sir. No, sir. I can towards you all I want. Keep talking. Please, please. Look like a moron. Get away. So a couple of things there. You didn't raise your voice. You didn't use profanity. Uh, This is America. You're allowed to say things. And not everybody is supposed to like what you say. That's my take. What's yours uh, one year later? Uh, It's the same. I I didn't raise my voice. I didn't uh, call him anything unreasonably video where this scenario had been going on for an hour with uh, upwards of 50 uh, prom goers. 
was uh, taken out of context and uh, Kathy Griffin uh, tweeted about it and called uh, her uh, internet mob out against us to dox us and to uh, penalize us for uh, taking a stand for what we thought was right. Yeah, Kathy Griffin, who's had all kinds of problems herself. I mean, she's quite frankly a pretty vile person. Her tweet, let's put it up on the screen. Uh, this is Sam Johnson in Nashville, Tennessee, the CEO of Visual. Do we have the tweet, please? Yeah, thank you. Uh, healthcare growth strategist married to Jill Johnson, calling out your wife, where they may reside in Franklin, Tennessee. It seems like he's dying to be online famous. Okay, that's a very famous person with millions of followers, obviously inviting harassment. Now, your employer, their reaction in my opinion, is over the top. You're the CEO, by the way. It's just so the board gets together and I want to go through this real quickly. We unequivocally condemn the behavior exhibited by Sam Johnson. Wow. I mean, and then they go on because they got to they got to appease the mob, I guess. Visuals culture emphasizes respect, kindness, especially for those from traditionally marginalized communities. And then they they wrap it up. We can confirm that Mr. Johnson is no longer employed by Visual in any capacity. He no longer has a position, blah, 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 blah. His behavior was not representative of our values. I mean, that, quite frankly, is totally over the top for a guy who said a kid in a dress looks ridiculous, which he did. So, sir, let me ask you this. Kathy Griffin, I mean, it is freedom of speech. If she wants to do that, I guess she can. What about your employer? I mean, do you have a case against them? Uh, do you intend to pursue one? Have you done already? We are still active in a, a dispute with Visual. Yes, uh, this new case. Uh, there's not a lot of law uh, decisions around this misuse and weaponization of social media. It's it's new to society, uh, so there's uh, it is a bit of a bleeding edge area uh, for us. But we uh, voluntarily uh, wanted to. Uh, contribute uh, to this area of the law and hopefully get a win. I, I totally get it. Listen, Sam, thank you for answering all my questions. I only have a few seconds left. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Anything we haven't covered? Anything you'd like to get out there? Interestingly enough, we've gotten a good deal of support from the gay community. Um, not anything close uh, to the threats and the uh, uh, maliciousness of um, Kathy Griffin's crowd, but it is interesting to note that we've got a uh, good bit of support from level-headed, very kind uh, gay community members, and we're grateful for that. Sam Johnson, you are on the right side of this. I am so convinced, and uh, history will treat you well, and maybe even a bank, maybe even Kathy Griffin's bank account. We'll see. Sam Johnson, to be continued. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We'll be back with J.D. Vance running for the U.S. Senate in Ohio. I have to do what I have to do. We have to pick somebody that can win. And this guy is he's tough. He's smart. He's a former Marine. He's a Yale educated lawyer, a great student, you know, went to Yale, got a law degree. He's a great student. He's a fearless MAGA fighter. He fights like crazy, and he loves Ohio, and he, frankly, he's a great Buckeye. So what I'd like to do is ask J.D. Vance, come forward. I want to pick somebody that's going to win, and this man is going to win. Come on up, J.D. What a moment for J.D. Vance, endorsed by President Trump in the Senate race in Ohio. And J.D. Vance joins us right now. The, uh, the, the, the primary is next week. J.D. Vance, welcome to Newsmax. How's it going? 
It's going good, Greg. It's a great moment for us. Obviously, thrilled to have the president's support, and we've got the momentum in this race, man. So I feel very good. Fabulous. Listen, um, the president mentioned you were a Marine. I had never heard that from anybody other than him. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You, you, you don't emphasize that. And by the way, you deployed to Iraq. You were in from 03 to 07. Tell us a little bit about your Marine experience. And maybe you've noticed that some candidates out there really beat that Marine Corps drum. It's all good, but maybe it's a little much sometimes. Yeah, they do, man. I'm very proud of my service. Uh, you know, still have some of my best friends uh, who were Marines are still in the Marine Corps. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not a political talking point. I, I hate these guys who, you know, talk about their military service, not because it's an important part of their identity, but to use it to deflect against any criticism of their record or of what they've you know, said or done in the past. So, yeah, man, I'm a proud Marine. Simplify. I know you're a Marine yourself. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't think that people should wear the Marine Corps on their sleeve to try to get political points. You wrote Hillbilly Elegy, which is an American classic. And by the way, they turned it into a, a Netflix film. I haven't seen it. Went through the book. Uh, this book is an important one. It changed your life. It arguably changed American culture. A couple of things. Tell the people about it. And uh, were you happy with the movie? Yeah, I was happy with the movie. I thought they, they did a good job with it. But yeah, man, the, the, the book is really the story of my family. You know, we came from southeastern Kentucky, cold country. Uh, my papaw, that's the name I gave to my grandfather. He worked in a steel mill in Middletown, Ohio. That's what brought our family to, to Ohio in the first place. And, you know, we're just hardworking people, right? My grandparents were the sorts of people who 50 years ago uh, were, were conservative Democrats. And now they're Republicans because Democrats have completely forgot about working people. They care more about you know, socially woke values and, and teaching your children that there are 42 genders than they do about ensuring you have a good job. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a Republican. I'm running as a Republican in this race. Final uh, uh, question, if you don't mind, and I'm sorry we're short on time. Your number one priority, should you get to the U.S. Senate, what do you want to accomplish? Man, we, we have to secure the, the border, Greg. At the end of the day, the amount of fentanyl coming into the state of Ohio, killing our citizens, affecting a lot of families like mine, is going to continue to devastate our country if we let it. We have got to get control of the southern border and punish the Mexican drug cartels who are getting rich off of Biden's border policies. J.D. Vance, candidate for the U.S. Senate in Ohio, Republican, newly endorsed by, by Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. Congratulations on that. To be continued, thank you, J.D. Vance. Thank you, Greg. We'll be right back. go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Thank you. What a show, huh? We'll see you tomorrow. Stinchfield is next. And thank you. Thank you for your support.